Ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again to celebrate the efforts of those who go above and beyond in the nonprofit sector. Welcome to the second annual Charity Village Awards Gala. Yes, tonight we're honoring those individuals who made outstanding contributions to their organizations and to the sector as a whole. And now, without further ado, here's your host for tonight's ceremonies, Mary Barrow. Well, thank you, and welcome to a special edition of Charity Village Connects, a podcast that explores topics vital to the nonprofit sector in Canada. While 2022 might be considered the year we finally began to emerge from a long period of unprecedented challenges in the sector, it was also, for some organizations, an opportunity to reflect, re-examine, and transform outdated approaches to fundraising and operations, and embrace equity and wellness in their workplaces. And as the year comes to a close, we feel it's time to celebrate the commitment, passion, and drive that will keep the nonprofit sector in Canada moving forward into the new year and beyond. As fundraisers, I think we really enjoy those warm and fuzzy feelings that come with fundraising and doing good for our communities and for our causes. So winning an award is just another level of that warm and fuzzy feeling. It's really caused ripple waves across the Federation. So our global colleagues are very excited. And from the conference and awards, I've had people contact me since then, interested in having conversations around how they can learn from us. Thank you so much. We're really, really thrilled about this award. Last year we were a finalist in the same category and so we were determined this year to do even more and go above and beyond and try to win this year so we were thrilled when it happened. It goes a long way to giving credibility to a lot of the work that's being done in our sector. There's so many people doing such profound, incredible, impactful work. It was great, you know, it's such an honor to be named a finalist. It's very validating to be recognized along so many other wonderful organizations who are doing amazing things in their field as well. We're blown away. It was such a true honor to receive this recognition. It's a great validation that we are on the right track. And so our staff have just been incredibly pleased and celebrating. It feels really good and the biggest thing for me is knowing that my team had the confidence to not only nominate me but to celebrate my win and to see that as deserving because you know, I kind of base the success off what I do based on how they're feeling about me. Honestly, the nomination came as such a surprise when I told one of my friends, hey, turns out I just won this thing. She said, oh, that's fantastic. I actually nominated you. So it was an incredible celebration with her. You're just so grateful for having that opportunity and privilege of being with people. It's also very humbling to be acknowledged for the amount of effort being put into our cause and to be appreciated for the difference that we're making and hopefully we'll continue to make. You just heard the reactions of our award winners when they received the good news about their peers recognizing them as being among the very best in the nonprofit sector. And don't worry, they'll be letting us in on the secrets of their success throughout this episode. Trust me, their stories are truly amazing and will no doubt provide plenty of ideas and inspiration for organizations of any size or mission. But first, 
I'd like to tell you about the National Charity Village Awards and the outstanding achievements they recognize. Our aim with these awards is to highlight excellence in areas that are crucial to the future success and resilience of every nonprofit organization and to the sector itself. In this episode, we'll be recognizing stellar work in the fields of fundraising, workplace mental health, diversity, equity, and inclusion, outstanding impact by individuals and organizations, and much more. And to more fully honor a sector where making a difference can occur in many different ways, we've split our award categories into smaller and larger organizations, with separate awards in each category for nonprofits with over 20 staff members and for those with under 20 staff members. If 2022 is anything like last year, there's already a buzz going through the nonprofit community as to what made this year's award winners stand out and win the votes of our judges. So if you're curious to know more about the successes of these individuals and organizations and how they achieved them, it's time to settle into your seats. The awards are about to begin. Up first on the Charity Village Awards, Best Fundraising Campaign. Fundraising lies at the very heart of the nonprofit world. Challenging at the best of times, traditional in-person fundraising events during the last few years were dramatically impacted by lockdowns and pandemic restrictions on gatherings. This year, things began to open up somewhat and return to a semblance of pre-COVID times. But for some organizations, the lessons learned during the first two years of the pandemic created opportunities to innovate and rethink how they approach their fundraising campaigns. So our first award winner in the category of Best Fundraising Campaign with a staff of over 20 is the Scarborough Health Network Foundation. Accepting the award is Kyla Timchin, the Foundation's Manager of Marketing and Communications. Kyla, tell us a bit about your organization and the work you do there. Scarborough Health Network is a community teaching health network in Scarborough, Ontario. Our three hospitals care for the very large and diverse community of Scarborough. We have a population of about 650,000 people, but our hospitals care for even more people in the surrounding catchment area. So about 800,000 people across Scarborough, Markham and Durham. Our community is so vibrant and diverse. 59% of our community are new Canadians and about 50% speak a primary language other than English. And our staff really reflect that diversity. So it allows us to care for our community in a way that really no one else can. On top of that, you know, we have Ontario's largest regional nephrology program. We're a regional community-based cardiovascular rehabilitation service. We have a stroke center of excellence. So just a lot of really great things happening at SHN. And as part of Scarborough Health Network Foundation, it's really our job to support our hospitals by inspiring donations, getting support, volunteers, and just helping to build up our hospitals up to a level equal to the incredible people who live and work in our community. Let's get right to your award-winning fundraising campaign. What can you tell us about it? So we launched the Love Scarborough campaign, which publicly launched in January of 2022. It was an open letter to Toronto. So Dear Toronto, Love Scarborough. And it was really meant to shine a light on the healthcare inequities that we face in Scarborough. One of which is the fact that despite making up 25% of Toronto's population, we only get 1% of hospital donations, which that really resonated with people. And we really just wanted people to know that we're here, 
and asking the rest of Toronto to back us up and, you know, using Love Scarborough as a sign-off. And the whole campaign revolves around letter writing and handwriting. And we featured real people who were SHN patients, staff members, Scarborough community members and business leaders, and told each of their stories and their connection to SHN. By showcasing these people, you know, we showcase that diversity that's within our community, which is undoubtedly one of our biggest strengths. And the campaign was successful on several fronts, wasn't it? The campaign was hugely successful, both from a branding standpoint and a fundraising standpoint. We actually got a $1 million donation on the very first day. We had an ad in the Globe and Mail kind of positioning our campaign. We had a incredible $20 million donation from the North Pine Foundation this year and a $50 million donation from Orlando corporation this year so we've had a lot of firsts we've seen incredible lift in recognition for our hospitals of our brand and to me one of the coolest things was how much our community felt represented and heard through this campaign it really turned into a rally cry for all of Scarborough rather than just our hospitals sometimes Scarborough gets a bad rap in the media and this love Scarborough campaign shifted the narrative put us in a good light I do also have to give a shout out to our incredible media partners. We were able to secure over $4 million worth of in-kind media with this campaign. And so we would not have had the reach and the impact that we had without those media partners. What do you think made the difference with your campaign and put you in the winner's circle? I think one of the things is this campaign really pushed boundaries a little bit as to what you would typically see from a hospital foundation doing a fundraising campaign. It was very bold, it was gritty, but it was also very authentic and genuine and I think really represented the experience of our Scarborough community. So I think that's what really differentiates us and put us a little bit apart from our peers in the healthcare fundraising space is that we really just know our community. Next up on the Charity Village Awards, Best Nonprofit Employer for Workplace Mental Health. In the spring of 2022, there was a note of optimism and freedom in the air after two long years of lockdowns and restrictions on everything from travel and education to shopping and working. And yet, just as workplaces were anxiously trying to regain lost momentum, it seemed like every kind of organization, big or small, for-profit or non-profit was being impacted by staff shortages, burnout, and the technological challenges resulting from a shift to remote and hybrid workplaces. At the same time, there was a growing awareness of mental health in the workplace and the toll the pandemic had taken on workers' well-being. With these and other factors in mind, we wanted to recognize those organizations that went the extra mile to build supportive and healthy work environments. In the category of Best Nonprofit Employer for Workplace Mental Health, the winner for an organization with under 20 staff members is WaterAid Canada. Accepting the award is Freya Struthers, Head of Personal Philanthropy for this organization that helps communities around the world access clean water. Freya, for such a small operation, your nonprofit works at a very impressive scale. Can you tell us more about what you do? Sure. So, WaterAid Canada is a member of a global federation, and we do work within the wash sector, which means clean water access, sanitation, and hygiene. And we work in more than 30 countries around the world. 
supporting some of the most vulnerable communities. And some of the underpinnings of the work relate to gender equality, healthcare, access to education, and climate resilience. My role at Water Aid Canada is head of personal philanthropy. So I manage a small team and I work within major gifts, legacy, and manage our annual giving part of the fundraising ecosystem. What do you think led our panel of independent judges to recognize your organization as an outstanding example of a workplace supporting mental health? Our well-being journey began administratively by looking at our internal policies. So to meet the needs of an exclusively remote staff who were dealing with lockdowns and curfews, school closures, illnesses, and more, we modified some of our existing practices. So for example, staff were given the option to carry over more vacation days than in previous years to account for the restrictions that had not allowed us to safely leave our homes over that fiscal year. Working hours were given more flexibility, and instead of a strict nine to five, staff continued to be able to work with their managers to create schedules that work best for them. Sick time is now thought of more holistically, and staff are supported and encouraged to use their sick days for both mental and physical health. And these intentional decisions have helped staff avoid burnout, unplug from work when they need to, and keep the work-life balance that we had before COVID-19. Of course, that's not to say that we don't also enjoy a competitive game of virtual bingo. Throughout the first year and a half, we tested a number of well-being initiatives that were really aimed to encourage us to socialize in a non-work capacity. So we worked with one of our Federation members to establish an annual well-being break that lets us come together virtually to enjoy fun activities, draw attention to Global Wellbeing Day within the Federation, We established somewhat regular coffee breaks for the Water Aid Canada team, where we meet virtually for about 20 minutes and talk about anything on our minds that's not work-related. We integrate fun activities and icebreakers into smaller team meetings, and we encourage informal check-ins with each other and our managers to keep accountable of our well-being needs. Mental health in the workplace is brought into sharp focus when your organization works with parents of children with mental health or addiction challenges. Our winner for Best Nonprofit Employer for Workplace Mental Health, with over 20 staff members, is Plio. And here to tell us about the important work they do is Elise Shipper. Elise, what does Plio do and what's your role in it? First of all, thank you so much. We're really, really thrilled about this award. Last year, we were a finalist in the same category, and so we were determined this year to do even more and go above and beyond and try to win this year, so we were thrilled when it happened. I'm the executive director of PLEO. I have been for five years. We are a nonprofit family peer support organization that helps parents whose children to age 25 have mental health or addiction challenges. So these parents come to us often in crisis. Their children are struggling with anxiety or depression, refusing to go to school because it's just too terrifying. Schizophrenia, it's a huge list of potential challenges they're facing. And we know of all of the pieces that have to come together for this child and this family to be okay, making sure that the parents can be amazing supporters and get support themselves to maintain their own wellness, that's our piece of the puzzle. We've been doing it for 20 years with really phenomenal outcomes. So this award is particularly meaningful to us because it's really in our wheelhouse. Mental health is what we do. As part of their jobs, frontline people in your team must work with people who are struggling day to day. 
What supports are in place at your organization for those who deal with tragic events on a regular basis? It's an incredibly emotionally taxing and difficult job for our staff who are working directly with families, and especially over the past few years. They've had so much to deal with on their own, with the way the world has been challenging for us, but also the families who call us have been struggling even more than usual. So we know right from the very beginning, you know, even when we start recruiting, that we have a really huge responsibility to make sure that the people who come into this work know what they're getting into and that they're really well supported to be successful in their roles and to be okay in their roles. It's not something we take lightly. So from the very beginning in recruitment, we give these potential staff an opportunity to kind of experience what the work would be like, to have a chance doing a mock phone call on the helpline or part of sort of sharing their own story because all of our staff are parents who've gone through this themselves. And we have an opportunity with them to debrief that experience, to see what it feels like to do it, to be supported by our staff after. So they're really clear, they know what they're coming into. And as much as we do training about how to be really great as a family peer supporter, we include things on you know your own self-care and personal and professional boundaries and how to really take care of yourself as you do this job so that it's more rewarding than it is draining. At the end of each day, what do you hope employees take with them and not take with them? My expectation, my hope for our staff is that they finish the end of the day and it's been hard, but it's not a tax on them. They can leave work when they leave work and they can know that the work that they've done is meaningful and has been fulfilling and rewarding. So every step along the way in the way we take care of our staff is reflected in this intentional priority of the board and of leadership that we need a culture of wellness. We want Plio to be a great place to work. And the fact that everybody on our team contributes to that so meaningfully in big and little ways is, I think, the reason that it actually happens. They've made it possible. While mental health in the workplace should be an organization-wide effort, it depends on the contributions of dedicated individuals to be truly effective. Here to accept the award for an individual's best contribution to workplace mental health is this year's winner, Hassel Aviles, founder of Not9to5. Hassel, tell us about your organization and its rather intriguing name. Happily. You're right about the name, and that was done very strategically and intentionally. So I'll tell you a little bit about the name first, and then I'll go into kind of what we do. So Not9to5 was named that because there's nothing about mental health or the hospitality and culinary food service industry that works within those hours. And that is the sector that we mostly work with and for. And I have lived with mental health challenges my whole entire life. During all of the time I worked in restaurants, no one ever spoke about this. And workplace mental health just wasn't a term that I was aware of at the time. And it's very, very, very still stigmatized in the world, but also particularly in the sector. So not into five, I always say we're founded in instinct and cemented in data now because it was very much started from my own personal lived experience. I'm one of the co-founders and the other co-founder and I both had worked in the industry forever and we just felt like we can't not talk about this elephant in the room anymore. It's in every bar, restaurant, hotel, etc. that we were working in and not in a Saul way, like in a very significant way. A lot of the cliches and stereotypes that you see in TV, mainstream media about this industry 
are true and also don't even show you half of it. So we both kind of came together and initially we thought it was like going to be a grassroots local initiative, which is how we started. We have very small and mighty roots, but it very quickly has been pulled in so many directions. We're now a global leader in mental health advocacy for the food service sector. We have partnerships with many organizations around the US, the UK and beyond. Every day we're growing new partnerships. Today I was talking to someone in Denmark, Copenhagen that wants to you know, do an event together in the new year. So it's definitely grown far beyond what I ever thought. And like I said, is mostly based on lived experience. When you were starting Not 9 to 5, how did you move beyond your own experiences to get a bigger picture of the industry as a whole? I knew what I was seeing, I knew what I was feeling, but I wanted the data, I wanted the research. And when we started to survey our industry here in Ontario, over 700 people filled out the survey. And even in the US, we had some American respondents. Do you live and work with mental health and substance use challenges? 90% said yes. So it wasn't some of us, it's most of us. And what we quickly realized is it's not an if you're going to need these skills, it's a when you're going to need these skills. So we wanted to better equip the workforce. And what we did is in the last couple of years, thanks to federal funding, we've been able to create industry-specific workplace mental health certification We have a course, a certification course, and other content as well. So we've created other industry-specific resources, including guidebooks, webinars, like you name it. And it's funny because our name, Not 9 to 5, attracts a lot of different kinds of people. We've had healthcare workers go through our content and our program. We've had graphic designers, freelancers. So even though we wrote it for our industry, at the end of the day, everyone has mental health. So... Our content is really for anyone, but we definitely included videos and audio stories that are specific to our industry through a lived experience lens. And then beyond the resources and the content, we also do a lot of community building as well. As part of last year's awards, with the pandemic still impacting our lives on so many different levels, we wanted to take the opportunity to highlight the stark inequities that certain groups of people were suffering. Recognizing the heightened sense of urgency around issues like Canada's shameful history in its treatment of Indigenous peoples, global movements like Black Lives Matter, and demands for equity and inclusion by LGBTQ2S plus individuals and persons with disabilities. So we included awards celebrating outstanding efforts by nonprofits in the areas of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And while progress has been made, challenges related to systemic racism, discrimination, and oppression in the sector and elsewhere remain. This year, we continue to shine a light on those organizations and people who have demonstrated their commitment to socially responsible hiring and onboarding practices, and how they're actively incorporating policies that encourage diversity, equity, inclusion, community outreach, and accessibility within their workplace. Our first winner in this category, for organizations with over 20 staff members, is Neighbors United. Accepting the award is the British Columbia-based organization's Deputy Executive Director, Josh Drozda. Josh, I know your organization has a long history. Tell us a bit about what you do. Neighbors United was founded 27 years ago. We are an environmental nonprofit. 
we work to build healthy, equitable communities everywhere that we work. So we do a number of different programs and campaigns from delivering local fresh food from farms here to low-income folks to campaigning to save the last of BC's old-growth forest and helping communities transition to 100% renewable energy. Neighbors United was a finalist in our 2021 awards. What do you think influenced our independent panel of judges to put your organization at the top of the diversity, equity, and inclusion category this year? When I think of where we were just one year ago from today, I can see how much growth we've had within our organization in regards to our DEI work. One year might seem like a long time, but it really isn't that long when you think of how long it can take to implement new practices and policies within any organization. It takes a lot of work just from the planning stages really to the actual implementation of those policies. So when I looked at where we were at in 2021 and then comparing it with where we're at now, I can really see just how much we've accomplished in such a short time with a small staff. I'm really proud of our team for making it happen. What can you share that other nonprofits focused on boosting their DEI efforts can learn from? I think one of the things that stuck out was probably the amount of training we do with staff and our board as well and our volunteers. So we do require new staff to complete anti-oppression training, LGBTQ2SAI plus inclusion training, inclusive language workshops, also a workshop on understanding the West Kootenai land and Snake situation. It's all paid time as well. We also hold a variety of other workshops on a range of topics throughout the whole year, such as National Indigenous Peoples Day, Truth and Reconciliation Day. We recognize those holidays that are culturally relevant to people as well, and those are paid time off despite not being provincial or federal holiday. I think we really kicked it up a notch in terms of hiring when we applied a BIPOC organizer to specifically work in BIPOC communities and really help build their leadership capacity and support their work. We have a BIPOC committee, an LGBTQ2S AI plus committee as well. There's so much work that's been done. We partnered with another local organization, TransConnect, to host two public pride events over last year. A highlight for me from that personally was just hearing from a trans person who drove over an hour and a half away to, to come to that because there's such a lack of queer spaces within this region, the closest one being about four hours away. And with half of our staff being queer, that was kind of a big moment for us as well. built right into the mission statement of the Milton Community Resource Centre, or MCRC, is a commitment to, quote, empower all citizens of Halton's diverse community by providing programs and supports that are high quality, inclusive, accessible, and affordable, aimed to address the impacts of poverty and inequity. Accepting the award for under 20 staff member best nonprofit employer in diversity, equity, and inclusion is Becky Untrod. Becky, take us through the role MCRC plays in the community and how you help shape those efforts. Absolutely. So, Milton Community Resource Center is a not for profit, multi service agency. We have a number of different programs and services that we offer in Milton and the surrounding communities. So, we have licensed childcare programs. We offer early on programs. We have family fun programs. We have licensed home child care. We operate the Halton Resource Connection, which is a series of programs that support educators and child care operators around Halton region. 
And we also have empowerment programs, which are free and designed to empower and provide access to women and girls and families to make sure that their basic needs are met through an infant food bank, through Period Power Initiative, and through a She Can Girls program. And I'm the Associate Executive Director at MCRC. Something we ask each of our award winners is why they think our panel of independent judges recognize them. What makes your nonprofit stand out? That's a great question. You know, we're so honored to receive it, and I'm not sure we thought we'd be a finalist. I think for us, what has made the difference is that we've spent a few years working on this so far, and we've taken some really intentional steps along the way with bold leadership from our executive director, from our board of directors that have really supported and encouraged the work along the way. So soon after the calls to action were released through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, we started our journey to begin to respond. We've been able and lucky to work with some really incredible community partners and an Indigenous reconciliation consultant and facilitator to help us understand what are we doing in our programs, how are we doing things in our programs, what do our policies and procedures look like, are we welcoming, and even down to the physical environment when someone walks in the doors, do they see themselves in our programs. So, so grateful to have had that opportunity. We spent a lot of time working on education campaigns with our employees, so some very intense workshops around truth and reconciliation, around understanding the Indigenous community. And beyond that, we also really went into a deep dive around all diversity, equity, inclusion components and We're lucky to participate in some workshops that were facilitated locally through an organization called Mending the Chasm. They had an intense program called the Inside Out Project that we were able to participate in and share within our organization. And then we also have representation at the Halton Equity and Diversity Roundtable, which is a grassroots organization that's meant to support organizations in our area to work on equity, diversity, and inclusion, and they have a organizational self-assessment tool that we call together a working group to take a look at what are we doing within our organization. It's a really incredible tool to help you look at your leadership, to help you look at your communications, to help you look at your programming, policies, procedures, and really with that group we saw a lot of excellent feedback coming out that helped us work towards developing a framework. We were lucky enough to bring in a dedicated diversity, equity, inclusion specialist who helped formulate our responses to that organizational self-assessment tool and develop it into a framework for us to really intentionally move forward and not just check the box. What role does the leadership team play in all this? Oh, that's a really good question. We have such bold leadership. We have strong commitment. We are not putting ourselves out there as we're done, you know, here, learn from us because we're all complete. That's really not how we look at it. And as you identified, it's part of our DNA now. It is something that is our work. It's not on the side of our desk. We need that focused attention to really look at how we're doing things, what we're doing, and making sure that our staff feel a really strong sense of belonging in order to project that for the community as well. We've surveyed staff around 
some demographic information and we really work to understand who we are internally. And I think these things are key in the research and the experts that are out there. We're trying to make sure that we're following that advice and that we're listening to the community, but our community also being our staff, our volunteers, our students that are coming into the organization and making sure that we can do everything possible to meet their needs and to formulate and cultivate that sense of belonging. Meaningful change in how nonprofits embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion starts with the individual. With each person within the organization asking themselves, can I do better to make our nonprofit a more inclusive, more welcoming place? Our next award recognizes just that the individual who's made the best contribution to DEI in the workplace. And the winner is. Trent Daly, Operations Manager of the Islamic Family and Social Services Association. Congratulations, Trent. Tell us about your role and what your organization does. Sure. So first I'll start with kind of explaining the organization. We try to explain it in a way that isn't just like the copy paste of what an organization is. We try to explain it from like a ground level up because we think about the clients and the peers that we serve. So from our perspective, Islamic family supports the mother that is fleeing abuse without making her compromise her identity or her safety. We support the man seeking counseling that respects and reflects his values. We support youth seeking a creative platform that appreciates and amplifies their voice. We support families that are beginning new lives amidst hardship. We are Islamic family and we are created to serve. Islamic Family is an Imagine Canada accredited charity, the winner of the Government of Alberta's Inspiration Award for its work in combating domestic violence in 2020, and the Canadian Mental Health Association Professional Service Award in 2020. And for more than 30 years, we've been driven to disrupt systemic inequity, to reflect a rich tradition of beauty, to innovate, and to serve with excellence. We serve over 5,000 clients every month. We run Edmonton's second largest food bank, and we provide aid in financial crises, we support victims of gender-based violence, we help settle refugees, and we deliver a range of preventative programming for youth. We're rooted on Treaty 6, but we proudly serve all of Alberta. I've been at this organization for just over a year. I started in 2021 in September. My role is operations manager. We've gone through a period of incredible growth at Islamic Family. We went from doubling our staff and our services the demand sadly exponentially increased during the pandemic, which makes sense. But at the same time, it gives us more resources and more ability to do what we do. And my role as operations has been supporting our team. Like I, I see my role as putting the same care that our team puts into the community, but I put it back into the team. And so I run our HR, I'm devising an anti-oppressive work culture that enables us to serve and to hire and onboard both within our community and to those communities outside of our own because we don't just serve exclusively within the Muslim community and we don't just hire exclusively within our community. And we're part of Treaty 6 and we have a responsibility to serve the Indigenous population here. We also have partners and clients that have different traumas and intergenerational traumas that require a lot of awareness, education and compassion. So for me, it's like trying to make sure that our team is capable of doing that and has the sports they need to do it with excellence and to do it with empathy. This award is an individual recognition of the work you do yourself. How does that make you feel? It feels really good. And the biggest thing for me is knowing that my team had the confidence to not only nominate me, but to celebrate my win and to see that 
as deserving because you know I kind of base the success off what I do based on how they're feeling about me. And diversity, equity, and inclusion is often complicated because it's been often co-opted or misused and often centered around whiteness. And it doesn't always incorporate justice or anti-oppression or intersectionality. And there's a deep awareness of some of these issues within communities that are racialized, within the two-spirit LGBTQ community, within neurodivergent communities. And for myself, I have a lot of privileges as a white man, but I'm Muslim and I'm neurodivergent and I have my own intersections that I inhabit. But being aware of our biases, our privileges, and areas where we need to work on, grow, or unlearn is very important. So for me, I'm like, I'm really happy. And at the same time, it's like, we have a lot of work to do as a sector. We have a lot of work to do individually. And now it's time for the Charity Village Most Outstanding Impact Awards. Here once again is your host, Mary Barrel. Our final two awards focus on nonprofit staff and volunteers who each day bring passion, dedication, and expertise to their work in organizations across Canada. Truly, they help to make our country a better, more vibrant place to live. So, for the Most Outstanding Impact Staff Award, the winner is Dancia Susilo with the Missing Link Project. Dancia, congratulations! Let's start with your role and the kind of work your organization does. Thank you, Mary. I'm the Executive Director of the Missing Link Project. So, we are a new nonprofit organization and we help underprivileged youth gain more opportunities to live above the poverty line by developing programs in fitness, mental health, and business and financial literacy. I joined the organization back in February. We did not have any board of directors or we weren't even incorporated at the time. So I had to build the bylaws, the board, any of the policies and get all the foundational stuff in place. So I think a lot of people nominated me or wanted me to apply for this recognition because of the efforts that I've put into it. The kind of accolades that successful people in the for-profit sector receive isn't always mirrored in the non-profit sector. Do you think awards like this will help improve the profile of dedicated sector workers like you? I think so. I can speak for myself and also knowing my friends, we have imposter syndrome, right? We are not often recognized as much as for-profit businesses. Like, you usually have business journals or 40 under 40, which are typically more predominantly for-profit businesses. And in the nonprofit sector, it's usually just within our own community. It's all small little group. But it's always interesting to see what other people are doing, especially throughout Canada. And that's what's so great about Charity Village's award ceremony and conference. When you first announced the nominees, I was going through the entire list and I was like, okay, let's see who I can contact. They were just nominated for, let's say, for the best fundraising. Okay, great. I need help with fundraising. I don't know what I'm doing because I'm in a new role. So I emailed them and say, hey, let's connect. What made you become nominated? Where have you put your efforts into these campaigns, right? And it's great to network in that sort of way because otherwise I wouldn't know where to start. Other people wouldn't know. And again, when it comes to imposter syndrome, we get burnt out. It's not a secret that especially in the nonprofit sector, everyone is extremely exhausted. We do this from the kindness of our own hearts. It's not for our monetary gain. 
So having that recognition, that's like a breath of fresh air, really. At the very heart of many successful nonprofits and charities are the volunteers who dedicate their time, passion, and work on worthy causes across the country. Our most outstanding impact winner in the volunteer category helps provide compassionate care for those with life-limiting illness at La Maison Saint-Raphaël, a Montreal-based nonprofit that offers free palliative and wellness care in one of the city's most populous areas. So congratulations to our winner, Marco Ottoni. Marco, tell us about the important work that happens at your organization. St. Raphael's, we're a gra- real grassroots nonprofit organization. Our mission is to offer exceptional palliative care services in a warm, welcoming environment, free of charge to people from all walks of life, and they're living with an incurable or life-limiting illness. We also offer respite support to their loved ones and caregivers. Our aim one day is to be uh, recognized as a center of excellence and innovation. We promote training and, and collaboration with the healthcare and education systems. And for those listeners who are unfamiliar with palliative care, it's really an approach to care which is focused on improving the overall wellness of someone with a life-limiting illness. And traditionally, this person has a prognosis of three months or less to live. So at St. Raphael's, we have an interdisciplinary team, which includes our physicians, our doctors, obviously, social workers, our nurses, pharmacists, spiritual care providers, therapists, and that would include art or music therapy, massage therapy, and sometimes the music therapist is together with a patient while they're getting a massage. We have acupuncture as well. In addition, we have trained volunteers and everyone is helping to address and ease this patient's total pain or symptoms. And total pain could be physical pain, obviously, psychological, social, emotional. These are all components of pain. In addition to the patient, we also address their caregiver and their loved ones. So we're addressing their emotional needs. Very, very important. And ultimately, the team is there to provide comfort to the patient and their loved ones. What I'm really proud about at St. Raphael's is we have a dual vocation. So we have an inpatient 12-bed or 12-room palliative care resident, but in addition, we have Montreal's first day center, and this is the exciting part and super innovative. So a day center, it's a form of advanced care planning. Our clientele would still be those with a life-limiting illness. However, the idea is to receive them way earlier on in their end-of-life trajectory, right? So they can benefit from the numerous services and our guests can have a month to live up to several years to live. Marco, as part of a volunteer board, I imagine you take on many roles. I'm the vice president of the board. I head the development committee, which is also the fundraising committee, and I sit on several other committees there. I, I try my best to help our executive director out and our development team, and I try to help with writing major gift proposals. I help organize our annual golf tournament. I send out solicitations and sponsorship requests for it. We have our online holiday auction coming up and I help solicit stuff for that as well. I try to give as many tours as possible to existing donors and potential donors as well. So in essence, I I just try to help the team out wherever I can in an effort to save their precious time and as well to save our wonderful St. Raphael some money if I can. As a volunteer, what impact do you feel you and the others on the team are making? Interestingly, what we're hearing more and more is that our guests are getting that sense of hope back. And it's not hope to live another two to five years, but it's hope that every day they're living to their fullest. So it's a great approach. We're there to enhance the quality of life of our guests and their loved ones, and we meet them where they are on their end of life journey. We'd like to finish off our 2022 Charity Village Awards Gala with some final words of wisdom from our award winners. 
With the sector clearly rising to meet today's challenges with innovation and creativity, I'm going to ask our winners what advice they have for other nonprofit professionals and organizations who want to up their game and strive for excellence. Let's start with what makes a successful fundraising campaign. Here's Kyla Timchin of Scarborough Health Network Foundation with her thoughts. This campaign really pushed boundaries a little bit as to what you would typically see from a hospital foundation doing a fundraising campaign. It was very bold, it was gritty, but it was also very authentic and genuine and I think really represented the experience of our Scarborough community of being sometimes left behind, being the underdog and trying to kind of come out on top. So I think that's what really differentiates us and put us a little bit apart from our peers in the healthcare fundraising space is that we really just know our community, we know our patients, our staff, and we were fortunate enough to be able to be their voice. Next, let's turn to mental health and what nonprofit employers can do to make their workplaces more caring and supportive. I'll start with Freya Struthers of WaterAid Canada. Our senior leadership team was on board from the very beginning very supportive, very encouraging, and willing to listen to the ideas of the committee. Like I said, we have a real kind of administrative approach to things that we're doing, looking to see if we can tweak some of the current policies. That's a big deal. And you can't just do that with the stroke of a pen. So it's pushed us into having some real candid and sometimes difficult conversations, but it's just proved that there's dedication from across the senior team. As for our other winner in the best nonprofit employer for mental health, here's Elise Shipper of Plio with her advice. I know how much all of our staff contribute to this in big and little ways all the time. I mean, just as an example, we had a new wonderful person join our team this week, and everybody made sure that she started her first day with an inbox full of welcome messages from everybody when she got there saying, we're so excited you joined the team. I can't wait to meet you. And, you know, it's a little thing, but it goes a long way. And Hassel Aviles, our winner for Best Contribution to Workplace Mental Health, has this suggestion. We understand that everyone's lived experience is different. And we considered the experience of a racialized person. We considered the experience of people of multiple different genders. You know, we, we really tried to keep it as intersectional as possible. And I think that that is also a big differentiator. I think a lot of times mental health content that's out there is really targeted from a specific lens and a specific kind of person. And we really kind of wanted to humanize it and create language that was what I call real talk. It's meant for anyone. One of last year's winners emphasized that diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace is open-ended. It has a beginning, but an end point should never be defined because there's always more work that can be done. Here's one of this year's winners, Becky Andrade, with her advice for nonprofits looking to improve DEI within their ranks. It can be so overwhelming sometimes to know where to begin, how to start your journey, and I think being able to seek out other organizations who've been successful in areas that you're perhaps trying to make some progress with, that there's this opportunity to connect and to share to learn from each other and to support each other. And so I think Charity Village does such an incredible job of supporting the sector and providing these opportunities. We would be absolutely thrilled if there were any other organization anywhere in Canada that would 
want to reach out and say, hey, how did you do this? Or show me the tool or walk me through your framework. We would be thrilled to be able to share that with anyone who needs that help. We believe as an organization that the sector is stronger together and Charity Village does such a wonderful job of supporting that. Josh Drozda of Neighbors United echoes Becky's thoughts on the challenges of implementing DEI in nonprofits. It's not always the easiest thing to implement new policies or procedures or best practices within any organization, but the work is so important for building an inclusive workplace for all of our staff, as well as our volunteers. And we look forward to continuing our commitments to build upon our diversity, equity, and inclusion practices here at Neighbors United. For Trent Daly, our winner for Best Individual Contribution to Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Workplace, his award represents organizations being more supportive of their workforce and the sector as a whole. Every student or every worker, every person, they want recognition, they want validation. And it's not just on being the best or having the highest mark. It's also about different things. It's not just about having the most outstanding employee, but it's also like, how did somebody support their team? How are you supporting youth? How are you supporting the sector? And when you see all these things coming together, it's also an opportunity for organizations to share what they do. Creating impact is what nonprofit work is all about. Someone who knows this concept well is one of our winners for Most Outstanding Impact, Marco Ottoni. His advice, know that there's always more work to do, but every now and then, stop and recognize what you've accomplished. It's funny because over the years, people would stop me and say, hey, Marco, man, this is unbelievable what you've accomplished, what you've built here. And I'd respond, thanks for the kind words, but... We still need to, and, you know, fill in the blank, need to fix the gutters or fix the roof or, you know, work on the landscaping. And then some would just say, but just be in this moment and just be proud of everything that's been done here. So I guess I'm also feeling some pride before hitting the ground running again. Congratulations to all our amazing finalists and winners. Their extraordinary achievements make the nonprofit sector the vital part of Canadian society that it is, where heart and commitment results in impact for good in communities throughout the country. At Charity Village, we're honoured to present these awards to the truly outstanding individuals and organizations who contribute to the betterment of their workplaces, their communities, the nonprofit sector, and to Canada. For a full list of our 2022 award winners, including those who were not able to take part in this podcast episode, plus complete video interviews, visit our website, charityvillage.com. That's charityvillage.com. Charity Village is proud to be the Canadian source for nonprofit news, employment, crowdfunding, e-learning, and so much more. You can find us online at charityvillage.com. In our next episode, one of the key impacts of the global pandemic has been its capacity to highlight in stark relief the inequities in our society. The result is a heightened urgency for the need of diversity, equity, and inclusion practices within society generally, and especially within the workplaces, including in nonprofits. For organizations ready to take the next step in becoming more welcoming and inclusive, What tools and resources are available? We'll explore best practices and new strategies for making positive change and lasting impact 
along with practical steps that nonprofits of all sizes will find useful. Diversity, equity, and inclusion in the nonprofit sector. Next time on Charity Village Connects. Thanks for listening.